It's time to put on your sleuthing cap, feel nail-biting dread, and face heart-racing fear. This is Queer Writers of Crime, where you'll get book recommendations and hear interviews with LGBTQ authors of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. Here's your host, Brad Shreve. Hey, Brad. Hello, Philip. This is the second time around. I know. I'm very excited. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) And you know, it's great to have you back. People were so worried that Justine was not going to be here every week, but they were quite grateful that she will see Billy Ron once a month. And I can tell you, people were quite pleased. Good. So you have eased their pain. (laughs) Well, that's good. uh, Of missing Justine every week. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm happy to... uh, I'm ha- I'm thrilled to be doing this, and I'm just happy to be amongst company with you and Justine because you two have really just enriched my reading experience over the last two years, and I'm just excited to be a part of the family. So thanks. Well, I'm glad you are. I really appreciate. It. And there's now a third person on the team because I wanted three of you every month. Yeah, uh, she's uh, Lori Egan. She's an author. Oh, great. She's going to bring in a whole new perspective. So. It'll be fun. Sounds we'll have a fun crowd. Someday we'll all meet in like Kansas City in the center of the country and have a, a party. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Who's the author today? So the author today is David Peterson. And David is someone that your listeners um, are familiar with because Justine reviewed uh, his Heath Barrington mysteries. Um, there's seven in that series, including a prequel. And I decided to jump on the bandwagon because he has just released a brand new series called The Mason Adler Mysteries. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. So the title of the book is Murder on Monte Vista. It's book one, as I mentioned, and it was released in March of this year, which is 2022. So it's uh, The Mason Adler Mysteries, David Peterson, and David's followed um, his same path that he's done before with the previous series. It is a historical mystery series. Um, However, this time the setting is moved from Milwaukee, which is where the former series was. Now it's in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's in Phoenix, Arizona during 1946, um, which I really have a real affinity to these historical mysteries. I find them really fun. And I especially like the ideas of imagining what it must be, what, what it must have been like for queer people to live during these time periods and in their private lives and in in their public lives as well. Well, I'll tell you what immediately comes to mind for me. I used to live in Phoenix Mm. and I always thought, I I loved it there. Absolutely loved it. But I had air conditioning and I had a beautiful swimming pool where we, we, every evening, that's where we spent all of our time in the pool. And I thought, why did people live here? Yeah. Before all that was the norm. I mean, I it, it would just been miserable. I know. So this is a book I'm probably going to jump on. Yeah. it's. I don't know how deep he gets into that, but. Well, they talk about, I think they do talk, now that you're saying this, I think they do talk about air conditioning like in the restaurant that they're in, but I don't think anybody had home air conditioning back in the 40s. There's talk about people being hot and what temperature it is on certain days, but that's about it. And I'm certain that this book is not about air quality. So I'm going <laughs> to go back to you and let you have your thing. 
Well, I'll tell you what. The book is about a private detective, a uh, PI. His name is Mason T. Adler. Uh, he's obviously the protagonist of the book. And the thing to remember from the get-go is that um, he's extremely successful. So in the very first chapter of the book, we find out that he's in the newspaper a lot. People seem to know who he is. And he also tends to figure out crimes before the cops do in a lot of cases. So um, so he, he has a lot of the local people are really interested in him, but the police force, not so much. So usually, the, and the other thing that's really fascinating about this book, and I think it's what sort of grabbed me and kept me going, was that usually the murder happens pretty early on in most mysteries. And this one's completely different. So we literally get two thirds of the way through the book before the murder even happens. Oh, that's unusual. Very unusual. So so what does that mean for the book? So basically what's going on is that Peterson is setting up all of the characters so that by the time the murder happens, you've got you don't have to know who anybody is because everyone who's there at the murder and all the suspects, boom, you've already know who they are. So um, so it's just an interesting sort of swap, I think. And, and, it, and it really works. So besides uh, Mason Adler, there is um, Walter Waverly Wingate, <laughs> <laughs> and he would be Mason's friend, but they appear to be more like frenemies than friends. So the first scene is that they meet in a coffee shop. Uh, Mason's colleague, who's a police detective named Emil, he also comes along to this coffee shop meeting. So all three of them went to school together. But Emil is sort of more of an ordinary working guy. He's uh, straight. He's married. And, uh, he, you know, he's a police detective just working his way through his uh, through his career. Um, the conversation between Mason and Walter in the coffee shop before a meal arrives, I, I, the only word I can think of is it's really dishy. It's like the kind of conversation that, um, you know, gay men have when they're alone by themselves. So they talk about men and they talk about clothing. But you have to keep rem- reminding yourself, well, wait a minute, this is 1946. So... It's kind of an interesting dynamic that Peterson sets up because I feel as if even though they went to school together and they're there in the coffee shop together, I don't know how much they really have in common with each other. And I don't know if they particularly like each other. So it's kind of like in some ways, I think they know, given their place in life and where they, you know, where when they exist in this in the century, I think they know that they're really fortunate that they have met each other and they can share some experiences. But if it were 2022, I don't think these guys would probably be friends at all. So it's an interesting sort of balance between like this intimacy that they really appreciate because nope, they can't talk to anybody else about it. Um, but then like their actual lives are completely the opposite. So when I was thinking about like, cause a lot of times I put actors in my head when I'm thinking about certain characters. So in this one in particular, I think Walter is really like a Clifton Webb kind of guy. So, um, if anybody out there knows, uh, the movies, Laura, the razor's edge, the movies actually from this time period from the forties and fifties, Clifton Webb was sort of this prissy actor that played a lot of prissy roles. And, uh, you know, he, um, he always was sort of nefarious and up to no good. And, and Walter kind of has an edge to him like that, even down to like, uh, they say he has a neat little mustache that he twirls. There's a, there's a quote in here that says, Walter twisted one of the ends of his mustache, a gleam in his eyes. So, um, so it's that kind of a, that, that kind of a character. And then I think that, I think that Mason actually could be sort of like he's turning 50 at this party that they're going to throw the following weekend. So I think, you know, think of like an older Dennis Morgan from like Christmas in Connecticut, somebody who's really classically handsome, masculine. So they're really kind of polar opposites. 
Um, and even after a meal arrives, they still continue to have like what my friends in college used to call girl talk. Like they continue to sort of dish about the waiter and all this stuff. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic that Peterson's setting up with this. Um, and of course, Emil being really practical reminds them to be very careful because there's raids and arrests going on. Because again, it's 1946. So, and then the reason that they are at this sort of dump of a diner that they all, the three of them show up is that there's a waiter that they're really interested in. And Walter's really interested in making sure that um, Mason meets this waiter, even though the waiter could care less that they're there. So the waiter's name is Henry Botrickle. Um, you know, he sort of is a guy that's sort of sleepwalking through his job. He's an, you know, he's a wannabe actor, like a lot of people are that do that wait tables. Um, and, you know, again, like I mentioned, it really becomes clearer and clearer as you get through the book and start to really understand the characters that Mason is sort of the sort of classic, handsome, masculine guy, and he can pass as being straight. Walter's just the opposite. He's effeminate. He talks incessantly about interior design, which is what his business is. His business isn't going very well. Um, and on top of it, he's got people living with him in his house. So, um, And you think at first, oh, he, he's doing this to make, make rent. But he's actually one of these people that helps people that are sort of um, – you know, on the out. So he's got Patrick living with him, who's an alcoholic and who was interested in Mason at one point. And then he's got Adrian with him, who's this young guy in his 20s. He was kicked out of his parents' house. So you kind of see a softer side to to Walter. The Walter character is a little more fleshed out, which I found uh, found refreshing as well. And then after lunch, in the next chapter, we meet uh, Lydia. Lydia is Mason's neighbor in the apartment building that they both live in. Um, Lydia's character and her relationship to Mason, I feel like it was really written perfectly because I felt like Peterson could have gone in a lot of different directions with this. He could have had sort of Lydia sort of blindly in love with Mason, not knowing what was really going on, or he could have Mason sort of using her. And it's none of that, which was really great. Um, you know, it's the 1940s, but they're really like best friends. Lydia knows he's gay. She understands it as best as she can. She really wants him to find a partner. She wants him to find, she, she, he wants her to find a husband. So they're great pals. And, you know, she doesn't mind going out with him occasionally, which they do quite a bit. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a nice sort of dynamic, um, of, of, of friendship between the two of them, between this sort, you know, sort of a will and grace kind of thing, but in the 1940s. So when the party finally happens, which is his birthday party, which is, um, like I said, it's really about two thirds of the way through the book. Um, all these characters are in, are in attendance. And on top of that, um, Walter's invited a bunch of additional people because he doesn't really care so much about Ma Mason's birthday. What he really wants to do is he wants to showcase his uh, design of his, he's redesigned his entire first floor of his house and he wants to get more, more interior design business. So He's got these two straight couples. He's got a lesbian couple who are very minor characters. And then at that point is when you go, oh, so at that point, then the mystery actually happens and it becomes sort of a locked room mystery, except it's more of like a locked house mystery. So everybody that's in the house becomes a suspect. Murder happens. You know, it's it's just great. So, you know, I really I really love this book a lot. I thought it showed really great potential for a first book. Um, I, you know, I can't help but say it had a bit of a similar vibe to Nick Williams, only without all of the wealth, of course. And uh, the characters, again, are there's there are people that are figuring out how to have gay lives in the 1940s, which seems very scary to me. But, you know, it did happen. I mean, not everybody was closeted during that time period. I mean, some people did figure out, 
how to sort of live a quiet sort of life just under the radar. I know like my mother's mother, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, her second husband was either bisexual or gay. We don't really know, but they had best, their best friends were these, this two, these two guys who were a couple and they ran a florist shop in town. And, you know, it was like regular people were doing that. So I thought, I really think that, that David Peterson sort of struck a nice nerve with that. And it really, it really made me enjoy the book a lot. Um, I really look forward to book two and I welcome him back with this new series. So looks great. Well, it sounds great. David S. Pearson is coming up as a guest in two months, I think. Oh, fantastic. And there's a lot of things you said that I'm going to talk to him about. You know, in writing, there are no rules, but boy, you sure told these are the rules. <laughs> uh, kind of depend on who you talk to. And the most common is that you'll hear that the murder must take place within the first five chapters or some will say within the first one third of the novel. Right. I know. Uh, I know. And to go that long without one, and I've seen it done before. It works fine. As long as you have an interesting story. Yeah. I, I think it's a okay. So yeah. I look forward to bring that up with him. Yeah. There is a list of how to write a mystery mm. that was written in the twenties. I'll have to clip it out and read it on the show sometime. It was by a prestigious mystery writer at the time. And the only things I'll, I'll toss out that they said was that, that I do remember was do not get into the protagonist's life. People don't care. They're there to solve a murder. The other thing I said, which I thought was <laughs> terrible, it said, do not have the killer be something like a maid or a butler. It has to be a person of worth. Oh God! So the pe- so the the help don't count. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. But all these upstairs downstairs play. You know, all these all these shows that we watched over the years. They all that's all where they're coming from. Is like, don't you know? We don't ever have to worry about the help because they're just non-existent. They're just there to serve people. You know. Yeah, like Star Trek, you had Kirk, Spock, and Bones flying down to the planet. Yes, and if there's a fourth person. <laughs> yeah, we were told there were, I think, 340 or 430 other people on the plane, on the on the spaceship. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. what did they do? Yeah. Just play ping pong? Yeah. <laughs> or if they did take somebody, then the, that you knew that person was going to be the casualty for the episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, the whole red shirt thing. Yep, yep. I could go on about... I, I'm really interested in production and TV shows and that sort of thing. Mm. So I could go on and on about why that happened and that sort of thing. But I'll save that for another day. This is about mysteries. Yep. Of course, it is a mystery. Like, why did they write it that way? But that's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. I look forward to hearing what you have coming up. It's interesting. I actually got an email from David S. Peterson oh, good. today. Oh, good. Uh, just a short time ago. A little secret, if you're listening. We don't do this live. We record in advance. I know I shouldn't tell you that. <laughs> and this is being recorded soon after Richard Stevenson's death. Mm. So David sent me an email oh. to offer condolences and, and a few other things. And Very sweet. It was very sweet. But it's funny that that happened to be today. And boom, there you are uh, <laughs> talking about his book. Yeah, very cool. We'll have to make sure he knows. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. And I will talk to you next month. Okay, Brad, see you next month. Bye-bye. 
If you enjoy Queer Writers of Crime, let others know and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It's easy by clicking Love the Podcast in the show notes. If you prefer another app, you can click the same link to see if they offer them. Who knows? Brad may just read yours on the air.